You know, last week we started a series on uh, family. And uh, last week we talked about some good news about marriage. Today we want to talk about being single. You know, this year the percentage of unmarried adults exceeded the percentage of married adults for the first time. And so, uh, just statistically speaking, a great many of us find ourselves unmarried. Uh, But I want to encourage you this morning to hear what God has to say to you as we deal with this topic, whether you're uh, single or married. Um, Don't just check out on me just because you're married, you know, because, uh, you know, there's a good chance you may find yourself in uh, being single. That may be in your future yet. Um, Or if not, that's the case, you still have people that you're in relationship with who are single. And so uh, you can speak into their lives. So I think this topic is for all of us. And you just may hear something that applies to you even if you're married today. So hang in there with me. And I will say that uh, we're going to talk about this aspect about being a single adult. And uh, this applies whether you are 25 and unmarried or 85 and unmarried. You know, whether you're widowed or divorced or single by choice or whatever that situation is, this applies to all of us uh, at some level here. But anyway, uh, you know, I think sometimes in the church, single adults can feel diminished. You know, like you're not quite complete if you aren't married. Um, Lindsay Donaldson, who's one of our uh, single adults, uh, this is a blog post from hers that she let me quote from. Uh, from a year or so ago. It's really excellent. Here's, here's how, what Lindsay says. She says, let's face it. In our world today, being single can be tough. I can tell you what it feels like to go to wedding after wedding. I went to seven last summer and watch friend after friend get married, feeling blissfully happy for them, but also feeling a twinge in my heart for the state that I'm in. I know the feeling of going out with girlfriends again, watching a sappy romantic love story, only to leave once again thinking, will it ever happen to me? I know what it's like to be at an outing or a party, and you suddenly look around and see that you're one of the only ones not holding hands or cuddling with their man. I know what it's like to hang out with women and talk constantly about husbands and houses and babies and When they get to you, the only thing they know to ask you about is, so, how's your job going? (laughs) And while it's sweet that they are trying, but you feel that gut feeling of being left out. It's not their fault, it's just the stage of life that they're in, and you're not in that same stage, but sometimes it still hurts. I feel things like, like, I have things like this quick story happen fairly often. We were at a game of Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, when a new couple showed up and everyone introduced themselves and their spouses, and when the couple got to me, they asked, and who are you with? To which everyone you know looks at me with that pity and say, oh, I say, oh, it's just me, <laughs> and smile. You know, we can easily sometimes make single adults feel like animals coming to the ark. You know, they came two by two, and if they weren't paired, they were impaired and just weren't welcome on board, right? (laughs) Sometimes we can do that to single adults. You know, I I know when I'm talking to um, people, helping them get into a small group, which I do almost every weekend, and I would say if uh, you're not in a small group, it would be my delight to help you with that. We can set up a time to sit down on a Sunday or whenever, and I'd be glad to assist you with that. I do it all the time, But, but when I'm talking to people, 
uh, sometimes, you know, a lot of times what I'll say to them is basically we have uh, about four types, really four types of adult groups. We have our catalyst groups, which are our single young adults. And then we have uh, groups with only men in them. And we have groups with only women in them. And we have groups that have men and women in them. And we call those life groups. But I've heard people at times call life groups married <laughs> groups. And every time that happens, I just cringe a little on the inside. Because I think a great many of our um, life groups are made up of married couples and single adults who are there together. And uh, that works just fine. In fact, when I'm talking to people, I tell them, very seldom in our life group do we sit around kissing and holding hands, you know, <laughs> very seldom, hardly ever happens. And so again, it, it, it's very, very welcoming for married and single adults alike. Um, you know, I, I regularly chide our life group leaders to, you know, we need to be careful about to make sure we're including and make sure that our language doesn't uh, somehow, you know, convey, oh, we're couples in such and such a stage. And maybe would convey unconsciously that sense of uh, excluding that single adult. And I would remind all of us that one is a whole number, <laughs> that Jesus was a single adult, and so was Paul and many of Jesus' disciples. But what I want to do this morning is I want to see what God has to say on this topic, and so if you have a, a copy of Scripture with you, I'd invite you to open your Bible or your app to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, we're very fond of uh, quoting 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, but just six chapters earlier, Paul, I think, has a lot to say about singleness, and so you can look there in your Bible, or if you haven't done so already, you can pull out the message notes that are there in your uh, celebration folder. It's got the entire passage, and it'll be up here behind me as well. But I want to see, in fact, I'm going to read this entire chapter. It's lengthy, but you know, you've had a full night's sleep with a little extra, right? So I know you're up to it. I know you can handle it. And uh, in this chapter, Paul deals with marriage and divorce and separation and being married to an unbeliever, and what do you do if you're married to an unbeliever and they choose to leave you? And he deals with a whole lot of things, but uh, we're not going to get into all of that. But, but the reason why I want to read this whole chapter is he keeps coming back to this central theme of being single and what that means and how to capitalize that for the kingdom. And so follow along with me, and uh, then at the end of reading it, I'll make, try to draw some thoughts out of this that will apply, okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now, So obviously, you know, Paul is... is um, He's talking in such a way where the aspect of sex is confined to marriage. And so in this greater context of singleness, uh, understanding that being single so that you can play the field sexually or living together, those aren't options that Paul is considering as God-honoring here. That just goes without saying from where Paul's coming from here. So he says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, for, uh, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I say this as a concession, not as a command. Verse 7, I wish that all of you were as I am. I wish that you were all single, Paul says. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this and another has that. Now, verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And for the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. And to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, if, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her uh, believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know? Uh, how do you know, wife, whether you will uh, save your husband? Or uh, how do you know, the husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. And this is the rule that I lay down in all the churches. So whatever situation you're in, whatever circumstance you're in, be there, Paul says. I think that's the best option. Now, he, he, he illustrates then, and he starts into this bit about circumcision and uncircumcision. So let me help you with that a little bit. You have to understand the greater context of what's going on. Christianity is spreading. It's spreading throughout the Roman Empire. It's starting to take root. And what's happening is not only are Jews being saved, that's where Christianity began with God's people, the Jews, but it's extending uh, to, to the non-Jews too. You know, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, says fulfills the prophecy out of Joel that everybody, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius gets saved. You know, all of a sudden they're opening their eyes and say, boy, this is spreading not only to the Jewish people, not only Jewish believers, but unbelievers as well. And so when he's talking about here about circumcision and uncircumcision, he's referring to Jews, the circumcised, and the uncircumcised, the non-Jews, okay? So he says, verse 18, was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. And was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. And each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although it can, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Yeah, duh, right? If you're a slave, you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. And you were bought at a price, and do not become slaves to human beings. 
brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now he goes back to talking about singleness here. Verse 25. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. The married people say amen, right? <laughs> and I want to spare you this. What I mean, verse 29, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. And from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. And those who mourn as if they did not. And those who are happy as if they were not. And those who buy something as if they, it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. And I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a way that is un that that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And if anyone's worried that he might be acting honorably toward the virgin that he's engaged to, and if his passions are strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who settled the matter in his own mind and who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who's made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. And in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. <coughs> now, <coughs> it's a lengthy passage, and he deals with so many things, just like I said, and we could take the next weeks to work through all of these different aspects. But I, I just want to draw a few thoughts out of what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 7 as it relates to being single. Okay, So what I'm going to do is kind of work my way through four thoughts, and at the end I'm going to have a point. Every time you work your way through your thought, you should have a point. right? So in your um, message notes there, you can fill in the blanks on these points when we get there, or you cannot. And if I say something in between, there's white space that uh, you can write that down too. But first area, first thought I want to draw out of this is just this. I think because family is so valued in our Christian subculture, 
that being unmarried or remaining unmarried can sometimes feel like the second best option. But I want you to see here that Paul clearly says that being single or remaining single is the best option. It isn't second best. In fact, I would say Paul even builds a pretty convincing case here for choosing to be or remain single. You know, someone once said, you know, I already have a dog that growls, a parrot that swears, a fireplace that smokes, and a cat that stays out all night. Why would I want a husband? <laughs> and Paul clearly makes the point here that marriage is an acceptable option. I mean, and clearly, there are some wonderful aspects about sharing your life with someone and having children and all that comes with that. But being or remaining single has its advantages too. And Paul makes that point that it should be highly considered. John DeBryan used to say, the one thing worse than not being married and wishing you were is being married and wishing you weren't. Some truth to that, right? But here's just simply the first point then, is just this. That God uplifts being or remaining single as the most valued choice. It's not the second best option. God clearly upholds that as even the most valued choice. Second thought is I think most, just looking back, I think most of the sermons that I've heard on singleness, you know, going way back to when I was single, you know, uh, pre-microwave days, you know, <laughs> bell-bottoms and mullets and bad haircut days, you know, way, you know, most of the messages that I've heard on singleness either deal with learning to be content or tips on how not to be single anymore. But here's what I want, I, wa I want us all to grasp this morning. That whether you are married or single today, you will never find satisfaction in what another person provides for you. Not a husband or a wife, not a boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't care what Jerry Maguire told us. Another person will not complete you. And with that, understand marriage is great. I've been married for 32 years to a wonderful woman. And having a spouse that you truly are aligned with in your values and in your purposes so that you really are a team, there's something wonderful about that. And yet... Know this, that no human being can fulfill the longings inside of you that only God is meant to, feel, to fill. Know that. And I would even say further, that looking to another person to provide this for you positions your rate relationship for extreme difficulty. Hoping you'll find your meaning or your purpose or your worth or your value through another person 
is a prescription for trouble. In fact, I think what I would call it is often it, it, it would be, the analogy would be a kind of a tick on a dog relationship, right? I mean, the tick is not there for the dog, right? The tick is sucking or seeking to suck from the dog, and nobody wants to be the dog in that analogy, right? And even worse, what happens many times is it becomes a tick-on-a-tick relationship. And what happens is you will suck each other dry. Happens to marriages all the time. Because if you are looking to another person for your sense of meaning, our purpose, our identity, it is a bad news situation. And so point number two is this, that a husband or a wife won't fulfill the longings of your heart and looking for them to do so is a bad move. Thought number three is that being married or being a parent, any of those aspects, those things come with responsibilities. As a husband, I have responsibilities towards Janet. I do. As a dad, especially when our kids were younger, I had responsibilities towards my children, right? We're going to talk about that more uh, in a couple weekends when we get to parenting. Uh, you have responsibilities towards those people. You have responsibilities towards uh, your husband or your wife. I, and again, back to, back to the point we just talked about, I can't make it my responsibility to make Janet happy. I can't. But as the leader in our home, as the head in our home, it is my responsibility to create an environment in our home and in our relationship where Janet can be happy. You see the difference? But you have responsibilities. You have responsibilities in terms of time and focus and all of these things. When I was single, if I wanted to go out with uh, my uh, guy friends at, any, at a moment's whim, I could just do it, right? Because I wasn't responsible to anybody but me. If when I was single, if I wanted to make a financial purchase that I didn't really have the money for quite at that moment, I could eat ramen noodles for a month straight if I wanted to, right? No one to answer to but me. You know, you know when I was single, my philosophy was you should never eat anything that took longer to fix than it did to eat. <laughs> so I was very limited, you know. And again, pre-microwave days, very limited. I remember when Janet and I went to the grocery store for the first time after we had been married. You know, she was pushing the, she was the commander of the cart, you know, and, and I, she would send me on little side trips, you know. So she sent me off to get hot dogs, and I came back with the 30-pack. And she said, my gosh, Jay, we'll, we'll never eat that many hot dogs. I said, this is what I buy all the time for myself. I don't, I almost got two because there's two of us now. I don't. <laughs> But listen to me, being married, here's the point Paul's making, being married of necessity takes focus, it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes time. And so if you're unmarried today, then you need, I think this is what Paul's saying, you need to view your singleness from the vantage point of how could 
how could that be used for the advancement of God's kingdom? The, the, the added freedom, the added lack of needing to answer to any other human being about things in terms of your time, in terms of your energy, in terms of your focus, in terms of your money, in terms of the use of your stuff, all of these things, how can they be used to advance God's kingdom, to view that aspect of things from the aspect of your singleness? Another blog written by another one of our uh, young uh, single women here at New Life, Mia Busby, let me share these thoughts from hers. Mia writes, I work with high school students in my church and have for the last four or five years, and it brings my heart such joy. It's what I'm truly passionate about, getting to know these young girls, having them really open up to me and ask me for advice and, a wi and wisdom is so beyond rewarding. And at 25 years old, I finally realized something last week, that I am thankful for being single. I'm one of only two youth leaders under the age of 30 in our youth group, so I have a relationship with these girls that the others don't because of the stage of life that I'm in. I'm able to relate to them differently, and I adore it. That being said, this season of my ministry will not last forever, and I've come to realize how much I enjoy where I'm at. And a huge reason for that is because I'm single. She goes on a little bit later. I've read this verse so many times, but for the first time in my life, I can honestly say that I'm truly embracing the concept that Paul is talking about here. This life is not about us. It's not about happiness. It's about seeking first the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 6, 33. And when we truly abandon ourselves to God, everything comes into focus. I was able to surrender every other area of my life with the understanding that it was to be in God's time for God's purpose. I used to think that God was keeping me single because I had all this healing and learning to do before I could be in a relationship. That if I would only... Uh, learn this lesson or that lesson, then he would finally give me what I so long for. But then a couple of months ago, sitting in the parking lot of my church on a warm summer evening, God spoke to me. He wasn't dangling a relationship in front of me to motivate me to be better. He wasn't punishing me or trying to make me miserable. He wanted me to want him more than a relationship. Yes, but the reason that he gave me that night was for my singleness to accomplish his purposes, period. And I finally found peace. Life doesn't start when you get married. Life isn't incomplete if you are single. This is life. Am I content with my singleness? I suppose so. But even more, I'm thankful for my singleness. And for me, that's even better. Listen to me, single Christian. Listen. Being single doesn't mean you just have more resources. You just have more time. You just have more money. You have more discretionary energy. You doesn't mean you have these things so that you can spend them, you can use them to make your life funner and cushier. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, if that's the way you're thinking, you've missed the point. And so the third point is just this, that you need to take, we need to take advantage of your singleness for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I'd like to even extend this, because I think this same principle, by inference, would apply not only to a person who is single, but I think it applies to, to, to married couples who don't have children. You know, uh, we use that, the acrostic in our uh, stuff to, to call that, that dynamic dinks, you know, double income, no kids, dinks. Um, I've read some other characterizations, uh, sitcoms. That's single income, two kids, oppressive mortgage. <laughs> Senile, S-E-N-I-L-E, self-employed, no insurance, low expectations. Um, dingo, dual incomes, never go out. And then here's my favorite right here, lips. Low income, perpetually sad. So... But maybe this morning, if you find yourself in that dinks category, double income, no kids, you know, I, you know, I think there are many godly married couples who really want or who really wanted children and, and who would have made wonderful parents. But their situation in life finds them not having children. And certainly... You have the freedom to pursue other options, medically, um, adoption, like we've talked about this morning, whether, whether nationally or internationally. And, you know, in addition to uh, families like uh, the Hayes and the Butlers, I mean, there's many families in our church who've pursued the route of international adoption. There's foster parenting. You have the freedom to do all of these things. And, and, and understand, children really are a blessing. But I would challenge you, just like I think Paul is challenging single adults here, to view your situation of not having children as perhaps something that you could use to allow you to serve God's kingdom better. And I'm not diminishing the heartache or the pain or the grief of any of that, but perhaps what God would challenge you with is to use the additional freedom aspects that come with that situation to advance God's kingdom. And, and, and in our own church, I can think of several couples that are doing so. I would challenge us all to learn from their example. All right, fourth thing. I think I would say this from 1 Corinthians 7 is to, that we're to not let our marital, our family situation define us whether that's being single or divorced or widowed or whatever. Don't let it define you. Uh, maybe a just comparison, if it's, if it's not insulting or, or inappropriate, is just the aspect, maybe if you find yourself, you're a person with, uh, with physical challenges. You, know, you can see yourself as a, as a disabled person or you can see yourself as a person with disabilities. Do you see the difference? And so I would say to all of us, whatever limiting factors we might have in our lives as we see them, whatever those things are, to not let those be the things that define us. I mean, they are identifiers. It's a way that 
marketers basically categorize us with people who are in a similar situation, sure, that's fine. They're identifiers, but don't let them become your identity. In fact, I would remind you this morning that if you are here and you are in Christ, this is who you are. You're God's child. You are deeply loved by the creator of the universe. That you were chosen before the foundations of the world to be his. That you are saved by the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for you. That you've been redeemed by Christ. That you have been set apart for his glory. And so love him, serve him with all your heart. You have been uniquely gifted, so discover what those gifts are and use them to extend God's reign. Strive to, to use your talents and your money and whatever else you have to advance God's purposes. That you exist for God's glory. And so look for a way to, to be his witness, both with your life and with your words. That you're to seek first God's kingdom. And by that, that, that it means that we're to be the agents for pushing back darkness. Pushing back the effects of evil. We're to be God's people in this broken, fallen world, making a difference for his sake and for his glory. For his purposes. You know, it's just so easy when you're single to be consumed with yourself. You know, your desire to be married, your search for a mate, your sadness over not marrying or not having children. And, and, and I'm not diminishing the, the sadness or the hurt from any of those things or the disappointment. I'm not diminishing that one second. But I would say this to all of us, that if your life is always focused on where you're going to be someday, you will miss what God has for you right now. And you'll miss the ministry, you'll miss the serving, you'll miss the opportunities that God has for you right now. And so my fourth point that I think Paul wants us to grasp is this, that your identity is found in who you are in Christ, not in your relationship status. Boy, all of us could grab hold of that, couldn't we? I don't care whether you're married or single. Well, the last thing I wanted to do is I wanted to bring my friend Brian Croy up here. And um, Brian is another uh, single young man here in our church. And uh, as a part of, uh, you know, preparing for this, working for this, I uh, got together with Brian and we were kind of talking. I was getting some perspective and, some, and the stuff he shared was so good, I thought, well, you ought to just share them in front of all of these people here and not just me. So here he is. So let, let's just, just take a couple minutes and go back and forth. Okay. Um, so one of the things that, that I think you can just back me up on here is as a single young man in the church, you've had Christians say not so wise things to you, right? Like mm -hmm. what? Yeah, definitely that, uh, you know, God has a plan for a special woman for me that, you know, there's there's prom I'm a promised, you know, uh, you know, a beautiful, godly woman, and that I just need to pray about it, and it'll it'll happen. Right. So, um, so again, good-meaning people saying those things, but you know, as you 
young believer in Christ, as you searched the scriptures, you found trouble finding those things, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I came from a background where I didn't go to church, and so two years ago I came to Christ, and so there's a you know, subculture where you hear these things, and I want to go to God's Word and see what did, what did God say about it, and I couldn't really find that promise. Yeah, so uh, again, beca- again, we value family, all of that's good, but sometimes I think in our, in our zest to, to those things, we say things that aren't true. And so you didn't, f- again, maybe there is somebody out there for you, maybe, but that's not a promise from God that that's not the really where you should as a single come at it, is it? Mm-mm, no, really, and just to see that, you know, the, the only relationship, the most r- important relationship isn't, you know, a physical um, relationship with a person, but really that relationship with Jesus and right. um, to put that first and foremost in my, in my life. Right. So one of the factors that you, as we were talking about, that you mentioned is how even how had relationships, you realized, had become an, all, an idol for you, right? Young mm. Christian, you know, you were seeking to honor God, but you saw how relationships had become an idol for you. Talk, talk about that for a second. Yeah, even before, before Christ and even after, that was just one of my, my biggest struggles was my identity and my value and my worth was having a relationship, having a girlfriend, and, um, you know, going to an event or at a party and coming in with, a, with somebody, then, you know, I felt like I was up here, and if I didn't, I felt like I was at the bottom so it really made uh, made me feel valued and, and uh, worth if I if I had a relationship so that definitely became like an idol and something that I um, struggled with yeah easy to do right mm-hmm. so um, so what you said out and I, c- I want to commend Brian for this what he set out to do was okay I'm a young believer I want to have God's vantage point on this and so you set out to study on that one of the things that Brian did is he read uh, this book, which is a book that I was reading, it kind of started me talking to Brian in the first place. It's a book called Redeeming Singleness, which is the featured resource for this, uh, this message. And uh, it's in the bookstore if you care about that. It, it's, uh, uh, it, it's not a light reading book, but, but I think what Barry Danilak tries to do in that book is he tries to trace uh, b- basically a biblical theology for singleness mm-hmm. kind of thing, and he does that. So let's talk about that for just a minute, okay? Um, uh, in the Old Testament... You know, God was creating a people. You know, you see that back to Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, he's raising up a people. And so the command to uh, be fruitful and multiply fits into that understanding, doesn't it? How so? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, he, he tells Abraham he's going to create a nation through him that's going to number, you know, outnumber the stars and that the essentially our Savior is going to come through that line. And so, you know, we, we definitely, they had a mission and a purpose to multiply so that, you know, Jesus could come. Right. So that command to be fruitful and multiply was very literal. They were, uh, this was, God was creating a nation. He was building a people, again, through which the line of Christ was going to come. Uh, all of that was happening. But we find ourselves in God's redemptive plan, not, you know, in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, on this side of the cross, on this side of Jesus coming, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's significant. Again, you know, Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 7 about singleness would have been scandalous back in the Old Testament. But Paul can take this tack in the New Testament because of Christ, right? Talk about that for a second. Explain that. Well, yeah, I I know. So in the Old Testament, obviously, it's going forth and multiplying by earthly birth. But on this side of the cross and we have Jesus, then God's family doesn't grow through earthly birth. It it grows through heavenly rebirth and and through conversion, through faith in Jesus Christ. Right. So um, we're having spiritual children, Mm -hmm. you know, reaching people for Christ. And we are discipling them. We're speaking into them. We're, you know, pouring ourselves into other people, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And using essentially your singleness to, you could be, you know, I could be single for the rest of my life and never get married and have, you know, biological children. But, you know, I definitely see that I can have an impact in God's family uh, growing that. And I could help God, you know, in that aspect be used to grow his family and have 20 spiritual children for, for God's kingdom. So I, I think understanding that, I think realizing that here's where we find ourselves, again, in God's redemptive plan, our role, all of us, married or single, is we're to be reproducing spiritual children, we're to be reaching people for Christ, and we're to be speaking into their lives, right? So, yeah. again. Yeah, definitely, and then I think that's how we relate, you know, go forth and multiply and um, in, today's, in today's world that we don't have to be, to be married to be able to follow God's command and create disciples and, you know, like the, the, like the Great Commission, to be able to do that, so. Yeah, and good stuff, right? So, good. All right, would you thank Brian for uh, coming up here? Thanks, man, you did good. Well, here's what, I, here's what I want us all to take out of this is what's God have to say to you about this? Maybe you find yourself as a single adult this morning, whether it's, you know, you're young and you've never been married or whether you're old and never been married or maybe you're widowed or divorced or what you find yourself single. Maybe God, I think this message is more directly to you. But I think no matter whether we find ourselves married or single, I think God has something to say to us. There's aspects about where we're finding our identity. I think there are aspects in terms of uh, being about God's mission and his glory. Lots of things here. So I'm going to pray. And here's what my prayer is as we kind of wrap this thing up is, what's God want to say to you? Not just, oh, that's good, that's interesting. But what does God want to say to you? What's the next step for you in response to God's word? So let me pray for you, okay? Lord Jesus, um, meet us all where we're at. Single, married, young, old, you have a word for us, Lord, and it's being about people who aren't concerned with now, it's being concerned for eternity. It's about reproducing ourselves through others. It's about extending your kingdom and your glory, God. And so wherever we find ourselves, God, I pray that we would hear your voice, we'd have the wisdom to know what you're calling us to and challenging us to, and then you'll give us the courage to obey it. And I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and we're going to worship, so let me encourage you to be doing that right now. And like we do every week, we have prayer team members here who would love to pray with you. Maybe it, it relates to stuff we've talked about here in these last uh, 35, 40 minutes, or maybe it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. But God has a word for you. God has something for you to to just bring to him, and these people would love to help you do that in praying. So let me encourage you to do that as we sing. So you just slip out of your seat while we're worshiping together. Let's, let's go before Jesus with our worship.